0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. All right, everybody, notebooks away and pens out. It is time for a pop quiz. Nah, I'm just kidding. But it is always good to do a review session because we do cover a lot on this podcast from the role of the DOJ to summer cocktails to the origins of holidays to the backgrounds of well known public figures. And those aren't even all the topics we have covered. So it's always good to do a refresher. With that, let's get into this getting schooled review session. How do you read a person's body language? What does it reveal about our internal thoughts and feelings, and how can it be used in everyday life? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. Voices are the most direct tool for speaking what's on our mind. But that being said, our body is the one doing most of the talking. Sometimes we might cross our arms when we're mad. We might raise our eyebrows when we're interested. Maybe our leg shakes when we're feeling nervous. Well, those are just some examples of the signals and cues that make up body language. So what exactly can body language tell us about someone or ourselves? How can we control it? And what signs and signals should we be aware of? Well, Joining me now to help us become fluent in body language is human behavior expert and trial consultant, Susan Constantine. During our conversation, Susan reflects on being in the courtroom for the Casey Anthony trial. While Susan shares her opinions on Casey's body language and behavior, Casey was ultimately found not guilty of murder. And Susan joins me now. How's it going, Susan? It's going great. Thanks so much for asking. Well, thank you for coming on this podcast. This is just so crazy to talk about because as a normal person i feel like we read others body language um just kind of innately we we get a sense from people what they're thinking but we don't know exactly what and you use this skill to do so many different things so first of all can you just tell me a little bit about what you do well i'm a body language expert and a trial consultant so i help attorneys
1: read through videos or deposition tapes or transcripts to detect whether somebody's being deceptive or not. So I'm analyzing behavior. I'm also analyzing the language they use. So I'm doing statement analysis. And I also have another expert that we do voice stress analysis. So we do all three of them. It's actually a three-prong process that I do. Did you say voice stress analysis? Yes. What is that? Voice stress analysis is a technology program that reads our reads the actual tremors in your voice. So when a person is lying, it increases what we call cognitive load. And you actually can hear that in their voice, your vocal tremors, it's almost like having an EKG of your voice. And then when it starts to go off the normal baseline, you're going to see these great big Christmas trees, which is where there's signs of deception.
0: So This is telling me to never commit a crime, <laughs> which I wouldn't do anyway. But this is cr- <laughs> wait. So you're telling me that if I, what if I'm a very confident liar? Mm-hmm. Well, it will show up in
1: one area or another. So even though you're a skill, you're not. But if you were, I should change that. <laughs> if you were a really liar, uh, a you know seasoned pathological liar, it'd be very hard to kind of pick up on those vocal tremors or behaviors if you have practiced it and you believe it and it becomes your truth. I mean, you have to really believe it. But the bottom line is that the more they talk, the more you skilled you are at extracting information, they will mess up somewhere. So the more they talk, eventually they're gonna hang themselves. So the, the point is you just wanna get them talking because then they start to retract and you can hear pick up different language and shifts they can't possibly keep the story uh so well programmed that they don't have some slip-ups slip-ups will always happen even in a pathological liar
0: you my mom always says uh never lie because then you don't have to or i gotta get this right um, or, or always tell the truth and then you don't have to remember your lie. That's what it is. That's, that's the one. Um, but it's, I mean, I can't believe that people, uh, think they can get away with certain things, especially when they have someone like you analyzing their voice and their, their body language and things like that, which I guess should bring us to the question of what exactly, if you could just put it into simple terms, what is body language? Body language is a combination of facial expressions, body movement, gestures, all
1: tied together. And they're actually your emotions that are being revealed through your nonverbals and your verbal communication. So when you're analyzing someone's
0: body language, what kind of cues do you look for? Well,
1: it depends on what it is. If I'm looking for them to see if they're lying, I'm looking at changes or shifts from their demeanor. So for example, you and I are talking, right? So I pretty much can do an assessment from Top of your head, at least to here, and I could see your facial expressions. I can see your I listen to your voice inflection, your movement of your hands, even though they're beneath the screen here. I would get kind of a baseline of your behavior when we're just talking about just friendly things like here. But if I start to ask you a question that you are trying to deviate from the truth and tell me something different from what you know, I am going to see different shifts or changes in your demeanor within clusters that usually happen in twos or threes or more so within seven seconds or less.
0: Wait, I got it. first of all, I'm sweating now because now I've, <laughs> can you tell that I'm nervous now? <laughs> um, yeah, because I'm shifting in my chair and my hands are clenched. I know you can't see them. But so when you say they, these things happen in clusters, what kinds of things?
1: There's a lot of things and there's not one in specific. But what we'll see is a micro shoulder shrug. It's like one shoulder might slightly kind of do lift slightly. It's not like, I don't know. It'll just be when they are talking, you just see one little shift of your shoulder. Contempt, when the mouth goes off to one side, that's contempt is considered moral superiority. Changes in skin color, could be where their eyes are more fixated. So when normal blinking pattern, if you can analyze what their blinking pattern is when we're talking, you would know how quickly they blink. And then when I ask you a probative question and then the fight or flight hits in, you might see that frozen. So those are kind of some t- t- cues. Now we hear fidgetiness, scratching the nose, hands over the mouth. All of those are also associated with deception along with flushing of the skin or red right around the eyes or gulping, uh, yawning or giggling. There's all this kind of, these are many different deceptors, but there's not one Shaquille O'Neal slam dunk moment. There's not, there's no such thing. There's I love no, a good sports reference. I love it. <laughs> right, and uh, and so anyway, there's just there isn't one. So the, but those those are associated with deception, and then there's also different demeanor movements and facial expressions that are associated more with threat. So I do both the deception and what is threat assessment. So mm. I kind of go both ways. So if you are um, if if you're in a position where you're face-to-face with a person that may harm you, right, when we're looking at school shooters and uh, lone uh, terrorists or whatever, there are literally clues that lead you up to that you can tell within their face and the words that they use that that person's going to carry out a threat. So it, it, is, it is really
0: quite fascinating. And I was going to say that truly is fascinating, especially because every person is different right i mean depending on how they're raised or where they are or how nervous or anxious they are typically i'm sure that things change throughout your analysis of a different human right
1: yes and that's a very good point because let's just say that somebody in their life has always been kind of contemptuous and they always Mm -hmm. spark all the time I mean, you probably have seen them there's probably a person's face that comes to your mind they whatever it is they've always a little bit more cynical and they might (laughs) work that is their baseline so sometimes even something that it would become a deceptive indicator might be a person's normal baseline. So that's why it's important to be able to not judge. See, reading people is not judging someone. Reading a person is reading the signals and then clustering them together because without clustering them together, that you're not going to be able to find what we call hot spots. And there always has to be something at risk or to gain. Okay, there has to be a reason why a person needs to lie. And the reason why that is, is the only way to detect deception is that they have to have this increased cognitive load, which is nothing more than a huge amount of anxiety. Mm. And they're trying to cover it. Because if they don't have any risk, any risk of any to lose anything or to gain, those are those everyday lies. You have a very hard time detecting whether someone's lying or not. Now there's ours also people that partially lie. You know, we see this, like watch the Casey Anthony trial, I was in there the entire time. She was really good at those partial lies and things if you listen to the videos. And and they'll skip over or they'll omit information that's very pertinent, but they'll present something to you as if it's the full truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, except for the part that's really damaging <laughs> on the part out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> those are the more skilled liars, right?
1: Those are those skilled liars. But sometimes they're just they think that their their narcissism is such at a level, mm. they think that they're gonna dupe you. But when you combine, that's where I think that I am very skilled at doing is that I use a team, right? So I do when I'm doing a high profile case. So I worked like on the a Michael Jackson case, and I worked on the Theranos case, and I worked on one of the Epstein cases, right? And I want I wanna pull in my other experts, and I want each one of us to analyze a specific video or statement, etc., on their own, without my input. And then we come together and collaboratively, it should sync together. If you're lying, you'll see it in their language, their body
0: language, and you see it in their voice too. Mm. Can you talk to me at all about some of the cases you've worked on? Um, Like the Theranos case, for instance, that's something that was so intriguing to me because I'm from Arizona. I remember when they put that in Walgreens and then all of this came crashing down. Was there something because she seemed very confident and there was seemed to be a level of narcissism where she thought, I'm going to get this right eventually. So how did you read her in the courtroom? Okay, I'm going to take you before that because when I was, I was on that case before
1: Theranos went to trial. Oh really? Okay. was hired by Richard. I'm not gonna tell you his last name because actually in the Netflix movie. Mm -hmm. And he was being sued by, by Elizabeth Holmes. Okay. And for copyright infringement, but he had sent me all of these videos that listen, tell me about this girl. What is, you know, what's her gig? You know, what's going on with her voice was lower or some of her demeanor was kind of awkward. She seemed to be unexpressionless and then she'd smile and her eyes were like stared, like there's a lot of weirdness about it. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was one part where she was pitching this invention to all these stakeholders. Remember all those big financial gurus, right? Yeah. She's got all of these uh, medical professors and everybody all in this room. And she's now talking about this medical device, this invention that she was about to create. And she had stated that she had extreme belief that the moving picture of this, and then she starts going on about the genealogy and all this other kind of stuff, right? All this technical stuff. Mm-hmm. The point being is that she was trying to convince them that this device worked. So when she was talking about the device and its efficacy, right at that moment is when she put her hand up to her neck, paused and hesitated and said, I have um, extreme belief that and then she went right into her pitch right there was when i told richard she did not have confidence in her own product because anytime a woman puts her hand over her neck vulnerability nervous anxiety the pausing hesitation she used the word extreme belief well first of all she didn't have to use a bolster word in front of it she could have said we believe Right. It's almost like she was overcompensating. Overcompensating. So remember, I just told you about things happen in clusters. Mm -hmm. I have extreme pause, pause, hesitate, belief that, and then if you looked at her face, you could see a micro expression of fear and then contempt right after it. So there was a huge cluster there. And for me, that was
0: like, I'm done, I I don't want to see anybody else. (laughs) That That is so cool that you can analyze that. And I I love that you gave that example because we talked about clusters. And so now someone can see like what that was four or five things that happened all within what, seven seconds? Oh, less than. It was like it happened within two seconds or three seconds. It was- Oh my
1: gosh. So I- That is incredible. There was something that was going on in her mind that she knew there was problems. And she was overcompensating for it. You could see the worry and the nervousness. But then when she was going into her dialogue about all the medical terms of so what that was where she was very confident See, now then her demeanor changed again. And she had control over that conversation. So that was a change in her baseline demeanor too. Mm. So that I wrote had wrote up the report. And I said, she doesn't believe in her own product. She doesn't believe the product works. And lo and behold, years later, Richard uh, contacts me says, Did you see I think it was either Forbes magazine or some big magazine? Did you see the front cover? Her device doesn't work. He says, your analysis was spot on. So and how, how long ago was that, that you saw that?
0: 2013. Wow. Oh my God. So was any of that used in the trial? No. It, because it's not, it, it's
1: not admissible. Anything right. that's detection. Now when the Netflix came out and Richard was in the Netflix, Netflix reached out to me and wanted that report. Now, They didn't do anything with the report. I think it would have been great if it was part of it. But it really didn't make sense to put it into them if you think about the Netflix. It was really more for their own knowledge. Was she being truthful? Did it really work? You know, what is her personality is her baseline off? Is she giving us a line of baloney and who is this person? So that was
0: really more for discovery. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. How long do you have to spend with someone before you can establish, okay, this is their baseline. Maybe they always act a little nervous at times. How do you differentiate when they're actually nervous when they're lying versus if they're just a normal, ner- normally nervous person?
1: Well, you have to consider the environment. Let's say somebody's taking the stand. They've never been in a courtroom before, right? Or they've never been questioned about something. They've, they don't have any experience in that environment. So that would automatically cause a person to feel a little bit nervous. You or I or any of us, even myself, if I were on the stand, I've never had to have anybody testify against me. So it's like, you know, that would make me nervous. So of course you would expect that nervousness would be normal. Then after the person feels more comfortable, when you built rapport with the person that you're talking with, then that starts to subside a little bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you have to always consider you know, what's at stake? That's number one. Number two is consider the environment. Okay, once you consider the environment, would the person normally be anxious in that situation? And is that really significant? Okay, so that is the basis of detecting deception, you have to make sure that there has to be something at stake, there has to be a reason for them for something to gain or to lose, there has to be high cognitive load. And then when you're when you're wanting to create a baseline, you have to use what we call empathy-based listening, and that is just to really get to know that person um, and not ask them any inquiring questions. I mean, like you and I hit it off from the very beginning. You were very easy, bright smile, very easy to build rapport with, no problem whatsoever. What about someone that doesn't have that ability? Has that very stone-faced appearance? Doesn't really share a lot, you know? Seems to be more quiet seems to be very guarded. So then what do you do with something like that? Well, as a really skilled body language expert or interrogator or an investigator, you have to build rapport and you also have to mirror that level of uh, energy that they have. Because if I were to come into a room with my big personality with someone that doesn't have a big personality that is going to shut them right down so mm. you work on building their trust so how long does it take it really depends on your skill and how well and how quick you can build rapport with someone for me I've pretty much nailed it pretty quickly I mean I could stand in a grocery store line make good eye contact before you know what they're telling me their whole story <laughs> and I'm like I really didn't need to hear that you know so can they- People by and most people don't really make good eye contact, they don't feel really comfortable. And, and also, there's some people that just don't make a good eye contact and are very introverted. And with mm. that said, you have to respect that and then make them feel comfortable. So, you more you find commonalities, things that are of their interest. It could be someone you don't have it, you personally may not have any interest in cars, but. You, you notice that they had, let's say, an old Mustang that they pulled up in. You might want to use that as an intro to get in. Hey, I saw this really cool uh, Mustang you pulled up in when you came in today. Tell me, tell me about that. Or maybe you see a photograph or something that's on someone's desk and you try to pull a nugget from there to see if they'll kind of bite at it to get them to open up. Because people really do want to talk and they want to tell you everything, but they want to feel safe. And they want to be validated and they want to be heard. And as long as you can apply those really good communication and rapport building skills, you can get information from people. Susan, you
0: have incredible people skills. That takes such skill to be able to do that. And you're such a lovely person too, so I'm sure part of that comes naturally to you. But how did you learn all of these things? I mean, when you just walk down the street, and I'm sure you learn it in the classroom, but when you go outside of the classroom, I mean, what are you looking for and how do you change the way that you learn based off of who you're talking to? Well, can I start with
1: my story of how I got into this? Yeah, let's do that because this is going to be a little bit of a kind of a creepy story but this is what actually happened and <laughs> I love creepy it's october. it's october this is definitely a halloween story so <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was 15 years old and i was supposed to be babysitting for a girlfriend but for, for with a girlfriend around the corner um a friend of mine had a lady that was uh, around the corner, wanted us to babysit for her. And while we were there, my mother, first of all, didn't like the neighborhood. She thought it was a horrible neighborhood. I didn't like the fact that you were over there 15 years old because it was very kind of in a bad neighborhood. I'm like, ah, oh, mom, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And I'm thinking, hey, I get 75 cents, right? And, you know, for three hours, 25 cents an hour back then was a lot of money. and That was my road yeah. money, right? So uh, when I was there, my friend said to me out of the blue, she says what would you do if somebody came in here and killed us tonight and i was like i'm like i knew I should." your have. friend said I, this my, my friend said this and i was like i knew i shouldn't have been here all i could think about was my what my mom was telling me yeah little did i know two weeks later we were asked to babysit again and that right before we're getting ready to babysit the person decided that to call it off because her stood her up. I'm still sitting on the porch waiting for the call for us to go walk around the corner. And while that happened, a van pulled up in front of my friend's house, got out, walked down the street and started opening up car doors. His behavior was very odd. And shortly after that, within a half an hour, he comes running out between my girlfriend's house, the house next door, goes to the back of the van, which is directly in front of my friend's house, opens up the back, throws something in there gets in the van and peels off, and he realizes that somebody saw him, who, which was me and someone else. Didn't take very long until we saw helicopters that were flying through neighborhoods with big spotlights and policemen with police dogs that were canvassing the area. I said, did you kids see anything? And I said, yeah. I saw this man. He had curly hair. He was wearing jeans. This is what his T-shirt said. This is the. Uh, he was driving a van. This is what it said on the van. And I gave him the whole description. Do you know that they caught him within a short period of time?
0: because you gave such a detailed
1: description yes and and we asked him what happened he said the man that you saw just murdered a woman around the corner had stabbed her 21 times with a knife now is that the creepiest story you've ever heard yes okay do i have your attention so that i do all right so that's really what springboarded me i think into my later career little did i ever know that i was very perceptive i was able to pick up on simple little nuances or lettering on the van or the the texture of the hair, clothing they were wearing, that I was hyper aware of these things. So there was that instinctive part of it. And then, of course, the trained part of it. So moving forward, um, I was a trial, I became a trial consultant, and from that, I had to know how to read people because that's part of the whole subjective part of deselection what are they not so much what they say, but their demeanor when they're talking about you know whether they could be a fair and impartial juror and so I got tremendous amount of training, and as you can see, probably I've got all the way around here like probably 20 some different certifications, and how to read people from facial expressions to analytic interviewing, to cognitive interviewing, to investigative, interrogative interviewing, uh, facial expression training, voice stress analysis, criminal intelligence training, I mean, you name it, I got it. And so then I applied all of those skills in reading facial expressions, body language, putting it all together, voice inflection, statement analysis, and then I applied that while I was in the courtroom and helping attorneys deselect jurors. So that's actually my mm.
0: that's how I got into it. That's a really good point too with the jurors, because there's so, there are so many times where you think, well, how there's no way that all these people can be that impartial. I mean, as human beings, we all have our opinions and you know, that's that is really an awesome thing to know that there's someone like you in there reading people to make sure that they are the best person for the job. Right. And then now, then you can take those skills,
1: Once you know what to look for. You can use it literally in every aspect of your life Think for single people that are out there dating and trying to meet somebody nice or are trying to vet somebody on uh, FaceTiming them that you met on the computer, which is an, through an application dating app to in business, if you're prospecting and or negotiation or mediation. I mean, it literally, you can use it in every aspect of your life, even in determining whether there are some dangerous behaviors that your children Mm. might be exhibiting. So I just, you know, I love what I do, because it works, it's helped so many people. And it even helped to identify the profile of a serial killer that was in Tampa, Florida, that happened, well, probably three, four years ago, where they had no idea who this suspect was. It was just literally walking up to people and shooting them. And they What's had no problem. They wanted to know does anybody know who this person is? Well, he had some very interesting characteristics. He was flicking his hand like this with his keys. I could see his stride, his gait, his walk, the length of his movements. Is his body movements, head tilt, you know, everything to do with their body. We all have a blueprint just like we have with our fingers. Your body language is your own blueprint, like you would be able to tell if there were your your uh, a friend was approaching you say, because what you're doing is you're analyzing. That's them because I recognize them from behind. Right? I recognize right. Them the way they carry themselves their stride, their movements and everything. So I was able to go on the news and say, this is what we're looking for, this kind of person. And I kind of walked that all through. And then shortly after that, they were able to catch him with that description. So it helped in identifying a person that, a uh, uh, description of a person
0: just based on their demeanor. Do you have a photographic memory? Pretty good. That's, yeah, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> Especially when you go back to when you, um, the few years back, how you got into this. I mean, just noticing those little details on the car and the hair and things like that. That's that's super interesting. Now, you bring up dating. And, and I know people who are listening to this podcast, they're interested in the criminal perspective, but also, I mean, everyday people who might be going on dates. Yes, If you're on a date, I mean, what, what are the telltale signs that someone might be into you or might be questioning it or might not be into you? Can you give some people that are listening to this, maybe some tips on how to read people? Sure, so when a person is attracted to you, number one, you will
1: see a little sparkle in their eye or a sense of arousal, right? Their eyes are more open. You'll see their pupils will tend to slightly dilate, and there tends to be that little glassiness that you see when somebody is really interested. The other thing is that they tend to flash their eyebrows. Like when they're interested, you'll see their eyebrows flash up a little bit more because they're showing interest. When they're not, you're gonna see them close up. When they're interested, they tend to lean in or lean to the side they don't they tend to lean back or if they analyze or they're not really sure or they could be interested and they're kind of thinking and pondering so there're all kinds mm. of things in their their body positioning are they swiveling the chair so that they are parallel with you or are they and i've seen this before and i'm sure you have too and i love sitting up at a in a in a restaurant and at the bar and watching one person where they're looking straight ahead and the other person is looking to the side, it's like, this is not going to work. This is definitely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so if you're if you're squared to the person, that means you're interested? Of course, and they're leaning in.
1: And, and it's kind of fun to watch how, like, you can tell when they're on a first date, they just made, met through an app, right? So they're a little yes. awkward at first and they might be doing their phone or they have this silly giggles or... They don't really make good eye contact. And then the more they start to feel comfortable, the more their body language will start to shift to where they're more uh, parallel with, or, or they're more straight on with the person. And then they tend to lean in. And I'm going, I know there's going to be a kiss happening.
0: Here. <laughs> <laughs> what a fun game when you're actually qualified to analyze people. <laughs>
1: It you know it can be a blessing and a curse at the same time because I am yeah. like oh that dude he just doesn't get it he's just not getting it. he's losing her he's not <laughs> <laughs> or some I've on the show go, he's not worth it don't move
0: on <laughs> you should have you ever done that <laughs> yeah I have
1: and, or I've walked into to people my husband goes I please don't do this again please don't do this again I, said, I just really want to give you a few little body language tips <laughs> and usually I make it fun you know and they're just. Yeah. Like, oh my God. And they make it a joke. So I don't, you know, come across as being, you know, critical or whatever. Right. I kind of read people pretty good, whether I'm just to stay away or I can, you know.
0: Well, what if you're nervous? So you're kind of closed off or turning a little bit, but you're interested still, how do you show someone that you're interested? Well, that is just sharing with me that that person's needs
1: to feel safe and validated, because that's someone that's closing in, it's like a flower, right? Flower closes when it's closed, and then when it feels good, what does it do? It opens up. So just the more expansive your body language becomes, the more comfortable the person is. So if they're always like this, and they're in that clamshell position, and they may be interested, but they're intimidated, you might see uh, worry across their forehead, um, those horizontal wrinkles or the, uh, inner eyebrows pull in because what they're, my face is always like that. (laughs) (laughs) They're looking for approval, but you have to tie it together, right? It's not just that it's also the closed in position, you know, the lack of eye contact or insecurity. So they still may be very interested but you wouldn't necessarily know the read on them for the other person is not getting the right signal. And when two people are together, I'm care what environment it is. You're sending and receiving up to 2000 messages in one hour through eyebrow flashes, through how many 2000 messages within one hour with shoulders, movements, eye movements, facial expressions. We have 52 muscles in our face. And every time it moves, it actually is linked to specific emotion. So you can see how that person is emerging from one emotion to another. If you know how to read them well. So I wouldn't expect the general public to really get that. So I go back to basics. Okay, <laughs> With, just go to the basics. You know, you don't need to be a hired gun like me, but you can learn the skills, how to read people. And where my passion lies is helping people to navigate through difficult situations when they're in, maybe in front of someone that could be dangerous. How can you read those telltale signs? But also to, how you can protect yourself from those people. And when you're in business, negotiations prospecting dating i want I want people that that follow me to know that i'm going to give you skills and techniques to know whether you should trust them
0: or not mm that's a that is a great skill to have. I have to ask you just since we were talking about dating, you mentioned your husband. did you meet him before you got into this or I, I, when you go out on a date, are you able to Can you get it out of your head? Because sometimes, you know, working in TV, it's so hard to watch reality television because you're like, wow, the producer definitely set that up. They asked that question so that person would say something. And it's so hard to watch because you're constantly like, well, that's that and that's that. Do you go through that? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the funny story about that because I did meet my husband when I was training
1: his entire uh, company, all the executives, how to read body language. (laughs) (laughs) He was my student. And uh, no way. so I didn't really notice him too much. Uh, and after I had left, I got a nice email and he says, I was the guy in the second row with a nice, with a pink shirt on. And, you know, was was perfect gentleman. And I said, send me a picture. because, <laughs> Right. I'm a <laughs> learner. There was a lot of guys in the room. Which one was he? And yeah. I thought, boy, you're really bold. I like it. You know, so Anyway, and then I had seen that, of course, he had gone through my website, literally looked at every single page because I was like, this dude's really vetting me. What is going <laughs> on? Here? So I, um, he asked me out to go to dinner, and we've never been apart since. We've laughed that first date, and we laugh all the time. And he tells people, he says, because they ask him the same question, how did you do it? How, how can you date someone like her that can read everything that you're doing and detect whether you're lying? And he says,
0: you just don't lie to her. <laughs> smart man, <Yes. laughs> that yes. is a smart man. Um, Wait, what a cool story! Yeah, so
1: uh, he now uses those techniques against me. So everybody- <laughs> I remember, I taught him so well, he can tell me when I'm not telling the truth. And it's usually if I spent too much money on something or I tell him it was on sale, and it was definitely. Uh, you he know, can
0: no. tell when you're lying.
1: I yeah, can say, no, you're lying to me. And I'm like, ah.
0: <laughs> that <laughs> is amazing. Well, yeah. it just shows that it was meant to be. He was there in that pink shirt. I mean, yeah. pink shirts bring people together. Pink, pink, shirts,
1: pink shirts and I had sure. these cobalt blue heels on. And he just couldn't get his eyes off of them. So black uh, heels and his pink shirt, that's what
0: won it. Wow, that's incredible. I, I love that story. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Do you uh, recall a time in your career where it was really difficult to read someone? And do you have a story of like, wow, I just couldn't get a good read on that person? <sighs> I'm trying to think, someone like—I I mean, you probably can read everyone, so maybe that's—or well, maybe someone that was a challenge. Ah, uh, boy, yes, there was one. It was a case. I can't remember
1: what the name of the case was, but he was a hog farmer, and I—and he was allegedly one of the persons that killed this person. I was doing it TV, mm-hmm. and I looked at all the videos. I'm going, he is a bull liar. He is lying through his teeth. Everything he did of all the lying techniques, he did them all. He committed every offense in detecting deception <laughs> and come to find out he wasn't the person that murdered him. So here's a person. Now here's, here's where the caveat is. Um, there are some people It's called Orthello error. And that is uh, a person who is extremely nervous, uh, will give you all the tells of a deceptive person because they have the fear of being believed. So in other words, they've always been misunderstood, disbelieved, And so they naturally, in their subconscious, don't feel that they're a trustworthy person because someone in their life or throughout their lives they've been told that. So when they're asked those probative questions, they automatically all the whistles and bells start to whistle, start to go off. But he was innocent. So it's not foolproof. You know, That's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but it but in that, that case, that one really kind of haunted me because I, you know, I went on national t- TV and I said, yeah, he's, he gives you all the indicators of being deception and I was wrong.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, that's, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself too, because obviously you're not the only one making the decision, but I mean, that, that does come down to someone's innocence or someone who is guilty and that, that can be a tough line to walk.
1: Yeah, because in this case, he was one that was trying to avoid. He didn't, he didn't care about the victim, which is some lack of empathy you would normally see. And so somebody that was like a next door neighbor and it was a younger kid. Right? Mm. And he had no empathy whatsoever. Like, he didn't want to be involved, didn't want anything to do with it. But he his was just that kind of recluse person. Don't bother me. I live in my own cocoon and I don't want to be bothered. And so right. we all together. Now, keep in mind, that's just behavior. If I would have run him through the voice stress analyzer, probably would have seen no deception, but
0: I didn't go to that length right i know that that's that's interesting to know that to kind of bring us back to the beginning of this podcast those major things that you do look for when someone's lying or trying to deceive things like that you also mentioned casey anthony early on was there anything that you saw in that case that was kind of a telltale sign or any interesting stories from that i will tell you the slam dunk shoes shaquille o'neal moment
1: (laughs) okay yes yes tell me that so i was in the courtroom the, pretty much the entire trial. And there was a human decomposition expert that testified regarding the odor in the, the trunk of the car. Mm. And when he talked about lifting the trunk and smelling this horrible putrid smell of decomposition, at that point in time, Casey Anthony did this. And I looked over and I said, I went over to my friend, I go, did you see that? She goes, what? She showed disgust. Now, if that was your daughter, and you were hearing about your daughter that could have been possibly dead, and her human decomposition was in the car, and you're a mom, and you heard that, what would the natural emotion be? Not disgust. Not disgust. So the strongest emotion is smell. So me, when I'm looking at that, she was recalling. That time was she smelt that odor and she recalled it instantly because it was already mapped into her subconscious mind. And that's the reason why she showed disgust.
0: Really? Yes. So this, this is interesting. This is a fascinating point too, because we did a podcast about the subconscious mind and how often our subconscious mind kind of dictates our actions. So are you saying that when something's mapped into your mind, you can't necessarily control, no matter how skilled of a pathological liar you are, you can't break those habits of just a reaction of something that kind of comes to your forefront of your mind? Correct, because that's a feeder memory.
1: Oh. That's
0: a feeder a, memory. Feeder, what is that?
1: feeder memory is a recall of an event or a situation That for example, when, when we say we don't like somebody, Mm -hmm. usually don't say we don't like someone because there's like, they're unlikable. It's going to remind you of someone or something that you didn't like about somebody else, or maybe your own self. It's a feeder memory. It's a recall. It recalls experiences. Our mind is like a little, it, it just holds in every single thought experience in our entire life a feeder
0: memory, a recall. Wow, that I, I, I cannot get over that. So yeah. then what did you do in that moment when you recognized that, what what was your description? I mean, what, what came next after that?
1: I don't remember what she did
0: after that. I don't recall because that was so profound to me. Um, yeah. are- no, but what did you do? I mean, who do you talk to about that when you say, oh. hey, I, I got this Shaquille O'Neal slam dunk. I'm in the media. <laughs> <laughs> so they had,
1: they had a stage, you know, every major stage, including Fox, CNN, yep. you know, HLN, remember all that? We're all there. Yeah. So I was going from, you know, one network to another reporting and everything that I saw through that entire trial. So where did I share it? I shared it on national television.
0: And, and then I helped- that helped...
1: Well, I, it just helped to, um, didn't help her get off by all means, but it did because the jury didn't know that the, I don't know if the jury even saw that I was seated in a place where I could see her. So mm-hmm. I was on the opposite side, which is, you know, instead of being behind the, um, I mean, I was sitting on the prosecution, not behind the defense because from the death defense, I couldn't see her. in fact, she was, she was seated directly across from the jury. So I had to position myself where I could see a straight on picture of her and also watch the jury. So I had to be strategic and where I was in the courtroom so I could see that. But I don't know if the jury saw that, right? I don't know if they were listening, hopefully to the witness that was testifying, not Casey and her responses. I don't think they would have that they would have been
0: directed there. They were directed towards the testimony. You should be on every jury. That's what I've come to. That would be a, a horrible life because that would be a lot of work for you. But <laughs> A lot
1: of work, yes. Yeah.
0: Um, what, what are some of the most common misconceptions that you come across when it comes to reading nonverbal cues, would you say?
1: Yeah. So there's a really good one that's, a, that's being taught even with law enforcement is your eye movements will tell you whether you're telling the truth or you're lying. So they'll say, well, if you're right handed and you look up to the right hand corner, you're now visualizing an untruth. And if you look up to the left hand corner up high, if you're right handed, that would mean that you're telling the truth. Or if your eyes go side to side, that's the other one, too, Well, people say, well, if you're, you're, you don't make a guide contact and your eyes shift from side to side, you're also lying. Everything to do with eye movement cues has been debunked. 22 out of 23 peer-reviewed research articles has debunked that it does not work and people even today still use it. uh,
0: Yeah. it's (laughs) That's not good. No.
1: In fact, the research has found that when you lock eyes where your eyes are more frozen, like I did not have sex with that woman, Monica Lewinsky. Yeah. yeah remember that frozen intimidation right so yeah. frozen eyes not the, not this or the eyes going up to the right or left rapid eye blinking also is not a sign of deception it just shows that there's cognitive load or anxiety and everything has to tie into content whatever is they're listening to whether whatever they're being questioned about whatever uh, information that is brought to them evidence you you have to tie the demeanor and responses to that stimuli and it has to be immediate it's not 10 seconds later or 30 seconds later that hat doesn't because once you go beyond seven seconds the subconscious mind goes on to another thought so you can't tie a specific an event that occurred 10 seconds later, you can only time it to be seven. Because we usually speak as humans, or we, um, we read 125 words a minute, but we can speak like 150 words per minute or more. But our mind moves 10 times faster. So when you tie in all of the how fast or slow the brain works, and we found this work with stenographers, that beyond that seven seconds, it goes on to another topic. So, so that's why you can't uh, you can't go beyond that time. You have to be very careful, unless there's another cluster, which can be another cluster if there's another stimuli. Okay, so that's one. The other thing is, is that anytime you scratch your nose or you're fidgety, um, none of those are signs of deception. It's just signs of anxiety. Now, when they. Talk about scratching the face. The reason why people do that is when they feel anxious, or maybe they may deviate from the truth. It causes this irritation around the capillaries, and it starts to irritate them. So, what do we do? Is we scratch it. It gets red. Yeah, we scratch. Well, it gets irritated, so we scratch it. Oh, so, yeah. You know, uh, that's like what I was, I was telling you is there's no Pinocchio response, but it is in itself. A indicator of deception if it is clustered together with more deviations off of their baseline. Remember we talked about baseline. Um, we talk about baseline. What is a person's baseline? Their demeanor, um, their vocal tone, their inflection, their movements, their facial expressions. We have their baseline and when they deviate from that normal baseline, when they're asked a question that is of high stakes that they're trying to deviate from, that's when the clusters or they'll start to deviate and show indicators of deception, which are movement, shifts, changes, rapid eye blinking, flushing, gulping, worry in the forehead, um, fear responses, shoulder shrugging. There's a multitude of them and they happen in, you know, right after the stimulus. So you have to really know what you're looking for. You have to know the skills. And then when you apply them, it's a lot easier than you think it is. But mm. the thing is, is, what you don't do is you don't judge a person's character. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a strong believer. I'm, I'm a Christian faith. We don't bear false witness against our neighbor. So I'm not going to just call somebody out and say they're a liar. Yeah. Because you know, That's most it. people don't really lie out and out. And there are some people. And, and I have to share with you, there are times where it's okay to lie. If it's your, Ooh. there are times where it is okay. So let's say it's Christmas time, you get a gift from your Aunt Emma, and she's admitted you this ugly looking putrid swim. <laughs> and then you go, oh, thank you so much. I love, no, usually you're, 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 smile would be strained, like, oh, thank you so much. You know, yeah. <laughs> I just love it. And you put it on. You're like, oh, my God, I can't wait to put this in the trash can. But thank you so much. <laughs> this Sweater or knitting the sweater. Yeah. So there are times where it's okay to lie. Uh, yeah. What about when you're in danger? What about if uh, uh, a child has or uh, ha- is in danger? Right? Sometimes it's, it's okay to lie to protect yourself from the abuser. So Absolutely. if that abuser was in the room with you to save yourself from being abused when you leave, if she, that person here, she tells the examiner or a children and families uh, investigator, a question in front of the abuser, she may mm. lie. Um, just so to, so we can lie because we want to protect ourselves. Sometimes we want to protect somebody else. We might lie to protect the identity of somebody else. And I think that Casey Anthony, uh, George, uh, Cindy Anthony did that for Casey. So when you think about if you were the mom, are you going to sell your daughter out? She's going to skim over pertinent information and she's going to lie for her kid. Mm. And and there are certain times where you would expect that a parent would go to bat for your kid, even though
0: it was a lie. Interesting. Yeah, those those familial ties run run really strong. So you never know. I mean, that's that's again when you're reading someone, and, and that brings me back to before when I was talking about how someone's raised or their relationship. I mean, I I admire so much what you do because there are so many little nuances I can imagine when you're reading someone and, and what that story is. So, um, is there is there something that you would suggest to people uh, maybe? a way to carry themselves to be more confident or if you are on a date? I mean, is there one tip that you give people?
1: Yes. First of all, it starts in your thoughts. Because if you're thinking negative thoughts, you're going to have negative body, body language. If you, you know, you have to be very cognizant of your thinking patterns. When you start to see yourself collapsing and you're, that's where your body language tends to come more fig leaf or you're not feeling like in your in your gut, you're just not feeling really super confident. I want people to hear this is to think about, what am I thinking about right now? What are my thoughts that are racing through my mind? And then you need to tell your thoughts, is that true? Is that true thought you're telling me that? And then you can say thought, that's not true. I am confident, I am powerful, I am amazing, I deserve this job, I'm gonna get this promotion. And you do a lot of self-talk, you will notice that your body language will start to open up and spread out and you'll have more confidence. The other thing is, is that, you know, and and, and you know this even in television, and uh, you know, if you wanna appear more confident, you've gotta get the energy level up. So Mm -hmm. I work with, um, I have, kids in here i coach i have politicians i've coached in here about their body language and how to sync their body language with their words but it all boils boils down to you got to believe what you're doing and you have to know you have you have to know the knowledge you have you have to know what you're doing because you can't fake it till you make it you can't you might be able to do it for (laughs) you but it's not going to last over time so the more you know your craft the the more confidence you're going to build. And there's there's also books out there that say, well, you know, if you want to put your hands on your hip and and you know, take the superman pose and you're going to increase the level of testosterone in your body for women and it's going to help to build it. You know, I don't know if that necessarily works. I've tried it, but it, yeah. and I'd actually I've seen someone that was taught that in a class, and this one guy walked around the room the whole time with his hands on his hips. Good for him. I, it was just like they kind of let, let shake it up a little bit because it looked a little awkward. But that yeah. it, every, confidence is not a gesture; it's a it's a thought. Now you can trick your thinking by exhibiting positive body language so you can cause your thoughts to change so if you want to put your hands on your hip if you want to stand in in, uh in place and walk around and race and you want to put your hands up in the air and going you know i got this i'm powerful i'm amazing and you start to rev up all that energy you will your body language will change so you can trick yourself into believing Um, something different than what you're thinking just by shifting your body. I do this a lot with myself. You know, even though I'm teaching the skills, I'm not exempt from having emotions like every person in this world, every woman, every presenter, every TV personality, we all have our moments. And so I have to say, thoughts, what are you thinking about? Is Mm. it true? And then you tell my thoughts, I'm gonna think something else. And then I start to shift my body. If I feel, I'm feel i sitting like this, then I'm gonna lean back. I'm gonna open up my body language, right? I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. But your shoulders have yeah. great better posture and that was helped to open up because when you close in, this, this is not good. You're holding all this energy here. And then mm-hmm. you have gotta let, it's like a teapot. When it boils, right, you've gotta let the steam
0: out. So you've got oh, to, I like that analogy. Yeah. You got to let the steam out. All right. We've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. You know, I was going to ask you that because there are so many things where, I mean, in any job, I mean, you could be presenting in front of someone or you could be in TV and you have to seem so peppy and happy all the time, but then sometimes you're just having a bad day. But then you read that, you know, if you, if you do that and you, you're, I was going to ask you if your body language can change your mind as much as your mind can change your body language. That was a perfect way of saying it. You can do it either way.
1: But you have to, you you know, you have to have a higher level of emotional intelligence and you have to be real with yourself. Mm. And and when you're real with yourself, in fact, I have a book that's going to be coming out next year. I'm going through all my um, interviews right now with all the top five publishers. So by the end of next week, I'll have a book that... Book proposal and amazing congrats well, yes and um and that's one of the things i talk about in my last chapter is really about getting real with yourself are you an honest person how do you answer how, how are you out there in society do we to i had a good friend of mine say to me you know i took this test about whether i was deceptive or not She just i couldn't believe it i'm a very deceptive person <laughs> <laughs> and were you like i knew that already well what she did she She thinks very strategic. So in other words, if she wanted to go to your dinner party, it wasn't that she would just want to go to your dinner party to get to know you. She was thinking about every person she's going to meet in the room, Mm. she already picked out three or five people that she was going to try to do business with and she already had a plan. So in other words, her motive was not pure. So the motive motive and the intent wasn't pure just to go there and socialize to meet people. And you can sense that about her. She does tend to be very strategic and have a, a plan in place. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I guess that's okay if you're going to go into a networking event, but, you know, people do business with people they like and build rapport and they trust and people can pick up, you know what, very quickly, instinctively, yeah. we can read it.
0: Do you think that a regular person, someone who is not trained, picks up on body cues more than they realize? women are more perceptive than men. So
1: but the research has found that only 50% at best are good at picking up it flipping a coin at detecting deception. So that's pretty really? incredible. And that's including psychologists, uh, federal uh, federal agents, and uh, professionals that analyze people, right. And it's because they're not trained really what to look like. Like today, I had a, a call with Dr. Matsumoto, and we're working on a program for threat assessment. And I said, Let's talk about why do people say when they say that this is all pseudoscience? Because we get that one too. Oh, this is just all pseudoscience.
0: Really? Oh, no. Yes, yes. I do not think this is pseudoscience. No. This is the most science that you can get.
1: Well, let me tell you, there's a thick manual by the American Psychological Association that tells you every cue you can imagine that is linked with emotions or reading people and they compare them to different people of different cultures and age groups of whatever there is a there is truth but it takes skill it truly is an art and science Mm, so absolutely most, most people um are not accurate in reading people but they do have an intuition um a an immediate gut reaction. I mean, you know, you're a woman. How many times have we walked into a room, we saw someone we didn't like, we go, ew, I don't like
0: her. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell right away, right?
1: I don't like her. What is it? I don't like her, the way she stands, the way she looks, the way she carries herself. There's something about that person you instantly don't like. So then what do we do? We cast
0: judgment. Yeah, that's interesting. We cast judgment. And I wonder why, is there, Anything that says why women are better at these things than men? I think that. I mean, we're better at everything, but I'm just <laughs> in intuitiveness
1: as a mother, as a built-in, as a woman, being aware of. I mean, when you think about, it, we are made to know and to hear the voices of our baby, the different cries. We are very, we are very perceptive of that. It's instinctive,
0: right? I was just going to ask because you brought up motivation. I, I, I am curious how as a regular person, for instance, if you're on a date and someone's making really good eye contact with you the whole time and you think, oh, that person's into me. What if they're just good at making eye contact? I mean, how do you differentiate that?
1: Well, if they're making good eye contact, all you can um, assume from that is that they're interested. That's it. Could be interested in the conversation, right? Could be something that they might be interested in you of your intellect. Are they interested in you physically, you know, there is a different look, you know, with the eyebrows and the eye move, the eye concentration versus someone that's just really interested in everything you have to say, you know, they might, you know, you don't know why they're interested. All we know is they're interested when they have the raised eyebrows. um, When you see the lid of their eye, like when you lift this way, that's a person that's showing interest okay but we don't know why they're interested we don't know why you have to tie to the content if they're looking at and they're smiling when they're listening to you and they're they're gazing in your eyes of course and like you know they might be thinking other things you know <laughs> you know I mean, you have to decide if that's you know that's the course you want to go but uh interest is always arousal good eye contact uh, never usually turning away. Most people, if they do that, they're just very timid, insecure, lack of confidence. You know, most people are not attracted to that. And, and, and we are, we connect through our eyes. So the eyes are the windows of the soul, right? When you when you make really good eye contact, there is there is something that you go beyond that surface and inside, and you could feel almost their thoughts and their feelings when you really make good eye contact.
0: Man, I wish we were doing this podcast in person because I feel like when you, when you talk about eye contact, when you talk about different body cues, it's a little bit easier, I'm sure, to read in person because, you know, we only get this much of the other person. But the last question I have for you um, is, and I don't know if I want to ask this question, but is there anything that you noticed about my body language during this podcast that you would point out? to our listeners and our viewers who are watching this on uh, Fox Nation, where you're like, oh, that's a telltale sign of something. Go ahead. Just give it to me, Susan.
1: You're not lying to me because there's, no, there's nothing there for you. you ha- you're not a criminal. You haven't killed somebody. And you're- <laughs> yeah, Thank right? God. right? <laughs> you're not. So when you smile, you do smile with a genuine smile. And what I'm noticing is that your cheeks raise up, your corners of your mouth goes up, right? And also your eyes light up. That is what we call a genuine smile. Oftentimes, what I see in uh, in newscasters, especially when they're on TV a lot, is that they do a side smile, like almost where they put their teeth together, like they go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't do that. Your smile goes up. Your cheeks become very full, and your eyes are very bright. So when I'm watching you as you're talking to me, you are you're, their interest levels. Like I just want to know more. Give me more. I do. I want to know everything, Susan. Yeah, yeah. So it's very positive. So keep whatever you're doing, keep on doing because it's working for you.
0: Oh, that was really nice. I was expecting something much worse, like a nervous tick or something, yeah. which I'm sure you notice and you're just being nice. So I appreciate it. You
1: no, know, there's not a nervous. There's not a nervous tick. When if there's a nervous tick, it's usually a, you know you get a little eye flutter or a nervousness on the one side of the mouth or whatever where they get a quiver when they're anxious. But naturally, when people are around me, it's the weirdest thing. When they find out what I'm doing, they automatically start to feel nervous because they think that I'm reading every one of your cues. And I have to tell you, I'm not.
0: <laughs> That's
1: good news. I see. I love a reason to tie in. Like you have to remember, my work is very high stakes, so I'm seriously honed in on everything, movement. I, you know, uh, norming, baselining, looking for clusters and all that kind of stuff. And everyday communication, you're a great communicator. You know, um, the thing is, when I look at your body language, you're not using a lot of hand gestures when you're talking. That's part of being on a podcast too. You want to keep things within your frame. You do that naturally.
0: Oh, thank so, you. Well, if that, you're, you're, a, by the way, you're a very easy person to talk to. So that's probably why this is, this is easier for me. Yeah. Yeah, so you did really good. Well, thank you. Well, this was so much fun. And when your book comes out, you have to let us know. Do you have a title for it yet so people can look it up? How to spot a liar in seven seconds
1: or less. See it right there? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I love that. Okay. So um, our listeners, our viewers can get that. Um, and I would love to have you back on the podcast. If you'd be so willing, uh, we'll talk about anything that you want to talk about. You were so awesome. I really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing all of your insight and those fun stories too. The one that got you into this was not so fun. That was a little scary for you, I'm sure. But how you met your husband was, was a fun one. So I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> All right, if you miss anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about body language. Number one. In order to analyze if someone is being deceptive or is lying, Susan says she looks for clusters that can happen within seconds. When someone's lying, you can find it in their language, body language, and voice. For example, in the case of Elizabeth Holmes, Susan noticed that Elizabeth put her hand on her neck, paused when she spoke, and over-exaggerated her words, which led Susan to believe she was lying about the efficacy of her product. Number two. Susan debunks some of the common myths in regards to body language, like your eye movement. While many believe that when you lie, your eyes move in a certain pattern or direction, Susan explains that in reality, that could just suggest they're anxious, not necessarily lying. And number three, when it comes to body language, a lot of it depends on your thoughts. You have to question the beliefs you have in your head in order for your body to reflect those thoughts, like confidence. If you don't believe in your ability, then your body might reflect that in something like a slouch. Susan reminds us that you can't fake it until you make it, unfortunately, because that will only last you so long. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on Body Language. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Addie Addy on the Fox News Podcast Network. Fast dismissed.
1: Kudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Kudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.